All right. Good morning, everybody. We are going to go ahead and get started with today's message here. Um, if you'd like to grab a Bible, open up to, again to John chapter 1. We're going to be wrapping up that first chapter of John today in our Gospel Foundation series here. Um, let me get that open here as well. So we're covering the last part of John 1. And in this section, we switch our focus to the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. John has just laid the foundation for us here about who Jesus is, what he's come to do, um, focused a little bit on John the Baptist, and now we're switching to Jesus. So let's go ahead and read John chapter 1, verses 35 through 36 to get things started today. It says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Um, So really repeating almost what we saw last week, where John the Baptist is pointing out to people, here's the Lamb of God, look, there he is. And this time he points him out specifically to two of his own disciples. And in another transition from John the Baptist to Jesus, these two disciples follow after Jesus. Jesus notices them, these two men following him. I can imagine Jesus walking down the road, and all of a sudden these two guys are walking behind him. And so what does Jesus do? He stops and says, what do you want? Right? And um, we read the response in verses 38 through 39. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so... They go with him, and they follow him. Now, um, as, you, as you look at the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see a little bit more detail about this, this moment. Um, Andrew was one of these two men that had fo- went to follow Jesus, and Matthew tells us that um, the next day, Jesus saw Andrew and his brother Simon fishing, and he called out to them and said, I will make you fishers of men. Right? You've probably heard that statement before. Luke tells us there was even more to the encounter. It wasn't just that Jesus was passing by, saw these guys and said, follow me. Actually, Jesus got in their boat and said, why don't you take your boat out on the lake and throw your nets in the water? And Simon, you can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice when he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let the nets down. Right? <laughs> And they caught the biggest haul of fish they'd ever seen, right? And then they followed Jesus. But for, for John, the gospel writer John, all those details weren't as important as just simply saying these two people started following Jesus. And after this, Jesus invites several other people to follow him. We read further as we read the rest of this um, chapter in um, chapter 1 in John about the brothers James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who followed Jesus as well. Uh, We read about Andrew's brother, Simon, coming along, and Jesus renamed him Peter in that moment. said, from that moment, you'll be called Peter. Um, There's other disciples that we read about. We read about Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who eventually betrayed him. These are the 12 disciples, the closest 
followers of Jesus, the men who spent the next several years living life day in and day out with Jesus. Jesus mentored them. He sent them out to preach about the kingdom of God. And except for Judas, they were among the first to receive the Holy Spirit and begin the work of the church. Jesus had all kinds of followers around him, but he had this group of people that were close to him. Now, as you read through this, it's easy to read through this and go, okay, there isn't a whole much detail here. There's people who started following Jesus. This is just the beginning of the work. But when you stop and consider what's happening here, I think there's something, when you look at who Jesus is, there's something truly remarkable that he began here. Something really important for us, I think, to consider in our world today as we look at the way we live our lives in 21st century America. It's important for us to consider as disciples of Christ how we're called to follow his example and take the lead in changing our world. So let's first of all recall who Jesus is. John, the gospel writer, has just spent this whole chapter telling us who exactly Jesus is. He is one with God. He is eternal. Through him, all things were made. He is the light that gives life to all people. This is, Jesus is divine and eternal, and yet he came to live among us. And in living among us, he became one of us, and he is the promised Messiah, the Savior that God promised would come and save all people. He's the King of kings, and he's been sought out already by people of power and authority. Yet Jesus didn't conform to human authority structures. He didn't align himself with the rulers and the great people of the world. He didn't take any power for himself. He spent his time with the common people. His closest disciples were fishermen. There was a tax collector. People who were known to be sinners in the world. He became known as a friend of sinners. These are the people that Jesus came and spent his time with. The first remarkable thing to notice about this is who Jesus went to. Throughout his ministry, Jesus did not distinguish himself as someone great. He interacted with all kinds of people, women, children, common laborers, as well as religious leaders. He surrounded himself with those who simply had faith to believe regardless of their station in life. This is very different than how we human beings and our sinful nature interact with people. We often do the opposite. We compare groups of people. We, defi- we divide. We distinguish. We elevate ourselves and our people as better than others. We are quick to see their weaknesses and our greatnesses. And we make a distinction. We divide. We say, we're going to hang out with our people. And we're going to push those other people aside. We do it all the time. In our world today, people are quick to demonize and distrust groups of people. We can't and won't look for common ground. It so often frustrates me when I see groups of people interacting. I hear the debates that go on in our culture. No one ever says, hey, you made a good point, and I ought to listen to you. We're always quick to say, I don't care what you think. You are one of those people. You stand for this. I don't want anything to do with you, and I'm just going to point out how great I am. We don't reach across those dividing bonds. We don't come together. 
That's the opposite of what Jesus did. And it's the opposite of what Jesus calls us as Christians to do. The very first act Jesus did in the book of John was to bring people together. He led them into developing common bonds with one another. I often think of Matthew, the tax collector. He was a Jew, but he was ostracized by his own people because he was working for the Romans. And yet Jesus included him. What was it like for Matthew to be called into that group? What was it like for the other disciples to accept him in that that group? It couldn't have been easy all the time, and yet Jesus called them all together and made them into a network of a fellowship of men who cared for each other and loved one another. That's what Jesus wants us to do in the world. As Christians, we need to check ourselves constantly to see if we are putting up walls and barriers against any group of people, any person, and saying that they are somehow unworthy in inclusion of the family of God or unwelcome in our lives. Now, I think I have to note that there is a difference between having an open and inviting attitude toward people and also having discernment about unhealthy barrier or unhealthy attitudes and actions that people take. We do live in a fallen world. People do hurt one another, but we can't assume that all the time. We need to be open and inviting. We need to allow people to heal. We need to allow them sometimes actually to hurt us a little bit as they're healing We give them that opportunity to discover that there is hope for them, for their lives. Oftentimes, the the sinful acts that people have are, are come out of a feeling of not being welcome, not belonging, not being cared for. I think about what a difference it could make for this world to live more fully for God if we were more well connected, if we stopped dividing. So not everyone will be open to to the invitation, but we're responsible for our own attitude to be open and welcoming to all people. And the fact that there are so many people in America today who feel unwelcome and rejected by the church tells me that that we have work to do as, as Christians. We want to work hard here at True North to be that kind of place that anyone could come to. We say that, come as you are, and we need to mean it. Those can't just be words that we say. It means to be the attitude of our heart that anyone could come as they are and be welcome here, to be welcome to come join the family of God. We can't wait for people to come to us. We need to go to them. We need to go where they are. We need to be friendly with all kinds of people. We need to show them that they are worth knowing. We have this display up on the wall that I think about often. We did this preaching series in the nine arts of spiritual conversations. And I go back to that frequently. Um, we have on our website, I actually have a link to the sermon series, if you ever want to share that. That, to me, is a practical application of getting to know people and inviting them. And we start with, number one, noticing them. That's really what we're getting at today, is going where people are, noticing them as human beings, noticing them as People loved by God, getting past our stereotypes, our judgments, maybe our negative experiences with people and saying, hey, you know what? They're loved by God. I don't want to do everything I can to be like Jesus and welcome them. And as I said, in our world today, they're not coming to us. They're not, they've already decided, right? 
they're not Christians. We can't expect them to not have judgment. And a lot of people have judgment and said, you're a Christian. I don't want anything to do with you. We need to go actually take the, go to the, make the effort to go to them and show them the kind of inclusion and welcome that Jesus showed these disciples. That's the first remarkable thing that Jesus did. He actually welcomed all kinds of people, regardless of who they were. Um, I just want to note, say a note on that. I, I mentioned women and children. In the world that Jesus lived in, women and children were, were not seen as worthy of inclusion. And yet he welcomed them. That's, that's significant. We, we don't think about that often in our world today because we try to, to be inclusive. But in the world Jesus lived in, it wasn't like that at all. And yet he included them as well. Now, all this leads to me to the second remarkable aspect of what Jesus did in calling his disciples. What was it he told these disciples to do? He said, come. Come with me. Andrew and the other disciple of John the Baptist said, where are you staying? And Jesus just didn't give them an address. He didn't give them his schedule of where he'd be showing up. Here, I'm going to be at the Sea of Galilee tomorrow. I'm going to be in this place then, and you can come see me there. No, what he said was, Come with me. Let me show you where I live. And from that moment on, those disciples shared life with Jesus. They went where he went. They, they shared meals with him. They shared every moment of life with him. This was a group of people that lived their lives together. Now think about that. What is it like to live life with another person? What do you learn about them when you spend day after day with them? Their habits, their idiosyncrasies, their strengths and their weaknesses, their failures, their insecurities. You learn everything about them. You learn the way that they smell. You learn the way that they look in the morning when they wake up, right? Everything that we don't normally show all people You get to know those things when you spend day in and day out with another person. And that's the kind of life Jesus invited these disciples into. He was open with sharing his life with people. How many people do we allow to have that level of knowledge about ourselves? Very few. A spouse, maybe. In our world today, you can have spouses living in the same household and not really know each other. Your children, maybe. I've talked to families where the kids really don't know each other either. They all, they all have their own thing. That's, I, had a, I heard a great comment from a teenager this week because we were talking about loneliness and isolation in our culture. And this teenager said, I blame the Internet. You don't hear that from teenagers very often. But it's, it's very true. Now, I would say the blame is more on us and how we use the technology, but the technology has made it so easy for us to be isolated even in our own homes. So it's hard to share life with people. Jesus came to be with us. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. That's what Jesus came to be. God with us. An important part of the gospel. <laughs> you should say it. You should say it. Go ahead. Say it in here so people online can hear you. 
can't go on anyway. You gotta tell. So God named his son after himself, right? What do you do? You name your son with your same name. So God is his first name, right? He loved the with so much that he put that in the middle, right? God with, and then what's the last name? Us, like Jesus, right? And us. So God with us, right, is Jesus' full name, right? Yes, this is an important This is an important part of the gospel foundation. God with us. God came to provide fellowship with us. Sin is our problem. In sin we separate ourselves from God. We fall short of the life that he wants for us. We are deserving of the punishment of death for sin. And by offering us the opportunity for forgiveness of sin, Jesus invites us not only to be forgiven, to be seen as righteous, to have eternal life, but to, to restore fellowship with God, to come back to him. He provides us freedom from the guilt and shame and invites us into a closeness with him for the rest of eternity. It's about being with God. We often talk about the Great Commission, the, the, the work that Jesus gave to the church. The command that he said to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And my favorite part of the Great Commission, my absolute favorite part of the Great Commission, is the one that often gets left, off, left, left out when we quote it. And do you know what that statement is? Take a look at Matthew 28. This is where the Great Commission is stated. Matthew 28. At the very end of the chapter, very end of the book of Matthew. Read verses 19 and 20. And tell me what Jesus says at the end. Give everyone a minute to get there before we shout it out. What does the very end say? Nope, that's where we that's usually where we stop. Right? We say and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. That, to me, is one of the most important parts of the Great Commission. When we read it, when we quote it, when we share it in our world today, we, we share that beginning part. Jesus commanded us to go out into the world, to go everywhere and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything. That's the job Jesus has given us. Okay, we're going to go out and do that for God. We're leaving out the most important part. Jesus is with us. We're never intended to do that work on our own, by ourselves, in our own strength and power. We're supposed to do it with Jesus, in his strength, with his presence. Surely, he says, I am with you to the end of the age. That's what life is in Christ is built on, this close, intimate fellowship with Jesus. Jesus invites us throughout our lives to know him deeply in many ways. When we come together as a church to worship the Lord, it's not just supposed to be us coming and offering something up to the Lord. 
It's us gathering together with him, knowing that he is here. It's experiencing that closeness with him, allowing our hearts and minds to open. When we sing praise songs, we don't just listen to the music and say the words. There's something that music does for us that just opens our hearts to receiving the Lord, to knowing he is near. Jesus asks us to come together, to pray, to dig into his word, to sing, to do things like take communion over and over, all as opportunities to come and to be with him, to remember that he is near. And then to not just do that on a once a week level, but then every day find ways to build fellowship with him, to draw close to him through daily conversation by turning our thoughts to him in every situation. And as I was writing this message, I realized it has taken me way too many years to learn that sometimes the best way through difficult situations in life is not to turn them over and try to figure them out and make sense and explain them or argue, argue through it, but rather to get back to the fact that God is with me. Who am I in him? Who is he? What is he doing in this situation? How has he called me to be? To rest in him, to find peace in him, to seek wisdom in him, and to trust him when things don't make sense. It's fellowship with Jesus that provides the strength, that provides the healing, that provides the hope that allows you to live even without having answers all the time. It's just, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And once you get to that point of just being with him again, you can enter back into fellowship with others. You can enter back into building relationship, healing, restoring all the things that upset us so much. It's by being with him that's the essential foundation that restores all things. Life in the light of God, life as he intended it, life to the fullest was always meant to be a life that we live with God. Let me read um, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, where Jesus had something to say about this. John 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." 
Do you hear in there that, that repeated statement, remain in me, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's, that's the, the foundation of gospel living, that we remain in Jesus, that we live life with him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And sometimes I wonder if we've ever really experienced the fullness of life in Christ. Have we ever really experienced the fullness of fellowship that Jesus wants for us? What would that be like? How much more of him could we know? Could you imagine how much more God has for us if we could live more in him? I was reflecting the other day on, on some of the troubles that I see people experiencing in the world, some of the debates that we have, and I realized that if we could just be more connected with one another, a lot of these problems would probably go away. People wouldn't feel alone. They wouldn't feel pushed into making decisions that are selfish, that are based on fear, that are rooted in, in, in what's going to happen to me because they're not, they wouldn't be alone. How much more full would our lives be if we really lived with Jesus, and not only with Jesus, but with one another? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our life in Christ is meant to be a life lived in him. We receive him into our bodies. And because we each do that, we are then joined together in him. We talk a lot about the body of Christ, the fellowship we share with one another. And again, that's not just friendship. It's not just because we found a bunch of people that we like and we like to hang out with. No, it's intended to be a body joined together by Christ through the Holy Spirit of all people, of every tribe, every nation, every faction of life, joined together in Christ by him. Experiencing the kind of love that we can't do in our own sinful human hearts, but only in the love of Christ. And yes, we all have to accept that to receive it. Not everyone's going to accept it but we all get invited in and we experience such more more of life when we do that. Jesus invites us to share this life in him together. When Jesus was praying at the end of John to God the Father before he was arrested and taken away, he prayed for unity among his followers, that we could be one in the same way God the Father and Jesus are one. That's the kind of closeness that God wants for us in Christ. In him. And so, one of the great values of a church gathering like this, this time to come together, is that we share life with each other. And this is why that that time that we take here each Sunday to greet one another, there are days where I feel like I can just let that go on. That's, to me, that's one of the most important parts of our worship time because we're actually connecting with one another. And it's not just about saying, hi, how are you? But again, it's about noticing one another, praying for one another, sharing with one another, digging deep into life together, exposing ourselves to one another, developing that kind of trust 
that we can say, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling today, right? When people ask you how you're doing, the most common answer is, oh, I'm doing fine. What if you had such close fellowship that you actually said, you know what, I'm struggling today. And here's what I'm struggling with. To have that vulnerability is what God wants for us. It's a vital part of life in Christ, that we enjoy him at the center, teaching him to know one another, to love one another more deeply, to overcome obstacles together. He gives us this time to come together on Sunday to form new bonds, to share joys, to comfort in hurt, to seek God's wisdom together, and even to confess the things that are keeping us from God and asking our brothers and sisters to pray for us. Right? We could have so much more of the fullness of God if we could delve deep into that kind of fellowship. And that once a week gathering, though, is really just the minimal amount of time that it takes to develop true closeness the way Jesus modeled it, right? Jesus didn't just tell his disciples, see me on Sunday or, you know, once a week, let's get together. They lived life together. This is why we encourage other meetings in the church, things like small groups that are, it's not just about a Bible study and getting together. It's about getting together with people and sharing life. And throughout my years of ministries, I've seen all kinds of models put out for how to do small groups properly. And to me, the only answer is, are you getting together with people two, three, however many people you get together, how often you can get together, and are you just sharing life? Are you digging deep into each other's life? Asking one another, how are you really doing? Being open with one another. That's the kind of life that God, Jesus calls us into. And I'll be honest with you, I think we're terrible about this in our culture today. Absolutely terrible. We're so deeply embedded in our individual lives. So buried in the stuff of this world. We're separated not only by barriers and stigma and distrust, but we're separated by things like entertainment systems. We're separated by things like busyness. We're separated by, they used to say the garage door was the worst thing that killed community because you can just drive in, close the door behind you, go into your house. The attached, attached garage with electric car door opener, that, that killed fellowship. There's so many things that we can point to that separate us. And it's easy to just live in that. That's the world we live in. But as Christians, we're called to see the problem with that and to do something about it. We experience the negative consequences of separation in our world. Isolation is growing. We don't know anymore what it's like to share life with one another, and our culture promotes ways to be apart. And so, as I said, it's our role as disciples to take the lead in, in showing the example in a different and better way of living. We need more of one another. We need more of Jesus in our lives every day. We need more of one another in our lives. We need to keep inviting other people to know that they are welcome. And then when we, are, when we welcome one another in, we need to let people know that we truly love them and we are invested into their lives. That we want to know who they are and what's going on in their lives. We're willing to take time to live with them. And that's, that's easier said than done, I know, right? But there are things that we can do to just be more connected 
in our world today to live the kind of life that Jesus invites us into. So going back to um, John 15, which Jesus said, apart from, apart from me, you can do nothing. The new life offered in the gospel is not just one of forgiveness and freedom. It is a life of unity and fellowship with God himself and with one another. Jesus did something truly remarkable when he invited people to come with me. Let's take that example and see what God can empower us to do to carve out and create a culture that welcomes people in and enjoys the kind of fellowship that Jesus desires for us. And in that fellowship, may we experience more of him and the life that he wants for us. Let's give thanks to the Lord that he is here with us today. And we'll um, praise him with our closing song. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the love that you show us. We thank you that you welcomed us and invited us into your life, into your family, Lord, that none of us is unworthy of your love because you have chosen to love us. You created us, Lord. You desire to be near us. And you pray that you would teach us all new ways to draw close to you, to invite you into every part of our lives Lord, we want to know the fullness of life, and we know that life only comes with you. And as we do so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to put a priority on fellowship with one another, to share and experience your love together in the family of God, Lord, as part of what you've called us to. May we be an example and a light to our culture around us for the fullness of life, for the healing, for the hope for the joy that comes in living life together in you. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.